Father, we lift up our voices tonight. And God, we offer you our praise. Father, I pray that we would be able to offer our bodies as living sacrifices as you call us to God. And you say this is the true act of worship. God, not that we just sing on Sunday and Sunday night. God, we give you our whole life. And that's the true meaning of what worship is. So, Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness to do that, God. Just to sacrifice ourselves and to offer you all that we are and not hold anything back. Father, I pray that you would, God, you just show you love. And all that it means, God, and all that you did, I pray that we would understand. That God, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can sit down. We are in the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Last week, we discussed the first part of Mark chapter 5. And Jesus had gone from Capernaum into uh, a Gentile community. He had traveled from the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee and gone to the southeast side uh, and spent time there and had healed a man or had cast out thousands of demons who had possessed a man. Uh, and, and in doing so, the community around had come to see what Jesus had done and these thousands of demons had gone to possess uh, 2,000 pigs who had run off a cliff and drowned themselves. Uh, and the response of the people were, one, they were, they were afraid. And then after that, the response was, Jesus, please leave. Because they had seen this happen. One, they had fear of, of who this man is and what he can do. And then second of all, he, he cost them 2,000 pigs, which is a financial, uh, that's a financial hit for them. So they're asking Jesus to leave and so he's gone and he actually doesn't come back or at least it's not recorded that Jesus comes back to that community. But the one man that he's healed goes on and shares with his family and those around him about what Jesus had done and went to spread in the Decapolis. There were ten cities in that community or in that area that he went around and shared about this message of Christ who had come and freed him. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about uh, a little girl who needs healing and a sick woman, both who find freedom from Jesus. Uh, and in verse 21 it picks up and says, when Jesus had uh, again crossed over by the uh, by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And so this has happened throughout. We're in chapter 5. We started out like 12 weeks ago going through the book of Mark. And we've seen this take place many times. Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee and he's teaching. As we go through Mark, there are three main things that have happened so far. Jesus has taught people. Jesus has healed people. And then Jesus has cast out demons. Those three, those three things are consistent as Mark tells this narrative as he goes through this share this story about who Jesus is and then defend the fact that Jesus is the Son of God to those he's writing to. He goes through this cycle of teaching, healing, and casting out demons. Those are the three big things you see Jesus doing here. And so it says he goes back again, and I'm going to argue that he crosses back over, not only over, but back to where he was, back to Capernaum. It's not specific uh, on where he goes, but if you can translate one of those words a little differently, uh, you can translate it again or back. And so I'm arguing it's going back to Capernaum just for arguing sake, because I like to argue and most of you too, do too, right? I'm assuming. Yeah, no, maybe not, whatever. I'm sorry. Regardless, I'm saying he's going back to um, to Capernaum, which is going to be, again, from southeast, and he's going to go back up by boat to the northwest side. And it says he gets out, and a large crowd gathered around him. Luke writes the same account and says a large crowd was expecting him coming back, and so they're waiting for Jesus as he gets out of this boat to begin to teach again. And again, you've got Jesus 
by the lake in a large crowd. Multiple times this has happened. He's by the lake. He's teaching. There's a large crowd. At one point, he gets in a boat because they're about to crush him. Again, this is this is normal for Jesus. He gets back into the Galilee area, gets out of the boat. Large crowd comes. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue leaders or rulers or leaders of the synagogue named uh, Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, this is abnormal in the gospel narratives to see a religious figure come to Jesus, fall on his face, and make a plead from him. Typically, when we see religious leaders, either Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, in another instance, specifically Lucrats, I believe in chapter 15 or chapter you know, chapter 14, verse 13, a ruler of a synagogue has come and he's upset. And he's angry with Jesus and he's angry with the people because Jesus has come and he's healed a woman who is in pain on the Sabbath. And he tells them, listen, this is the day of rest. We have six other days. If you are if you're sick and you need healing or if you know somebody, come on those six days. Don't come today. It's very interesting because he's so dead set on this idea of the law and resting and just this hard holding to this legalistic mindset and following of Jesus. Can you turn this down a little bit? It's like rattling in my ear from the sound. I'm sure you guys are, oh my gosh, is this over yet? Is it better? Test, test, one, two. Ball one, ball eight. Yeah. Some of you, one person has seen that movie. No, maybe not. Okay. Goodness. This is a tough crowd tonight. High school was an easy crowd. They were laughing like crazy today, but we were talking about marriage. And you weren't there, and I'm so glad, because, woof, yeah. I do. I stuck it right in there to start with. Just bullshit. Anyways, where are we at? In the synagogue. And so you have this, this leader of a synagogue who approaches Jesus. He's in this crowd. He sees Jesus, and he runs, and he falls at his feet. And, so, and it says he pleads with him with many words, saying, my little girl is dying, or she is at the extreme. Literally, it says she is at an extreme. She has an extreme, which means they're out now at the point of death. They are so sick that they're about to die. And so he's in this position. I have a, I have a daughter who's sick and is about to die, and he runs after and is seeking Jesus for help. Again, very interesting because most of the time in the Gospels, the religious leaders or figures are not ones that are going to approach Jesus for help, for theological education or any of those things, they're mad and they want to get rid of this guy. So it says he runs up, falls down, pleads with him and he says, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. It's very interesting because of who this man is. He's a synagogue leader. He's in charge of running the synagogue, making sure things go well. He's probably a teacher. He's well educated. He's a part of that group. But yet he finds himself in a position where I have need. And the one that can correct it is Jesus. And so he runs to Jesus. He falls at his feet and pleads with him, please come and just put your hands on her so that she will be well. Not only does he recognize he has need, but the man has faith. At least enough to say, hey, my daughter's sick and is about to die. If you would just come and put your hands on her, she'll be better. And he, I mean, he does this publicly. He does it. Physical response comes and falls. Verbally recognizes, I have need of you. Please come. And he expresses his belief and his faith in what Jesus can do. These are gospel basics. 
Obviously, they're dealing with a, a, a physical ailment here, and his daughter is about to die. But yet, it's the same basics of the gospel. The man recognizes, I have need, and only you can fix it. And I believe you can fix it. He's placing his trust, his alignment with Jesus. Hey, please fix my daughter. Please heal, correct what is wrong. Verse 24, it says, so Jesus went with him. Again, very interesting, because most of the time you see these figures, they're in opposition to Jesus, but yet this man approaches and says, please, come to my home and place your hands on my daughter so that she'll be well. And how does Jesus respond? He goes with him. He's good with that. That's why he's here. He's just traveled from the other side of the lake. He gets off the boat. He's got a huge crowd around him once again. This is opportune teaching time again. And what happens? A man runs up and says, please come to my house. And he says, okay. So he drops what's going on and he's going to this man's house. He goes on to say, a large crowd followed and uh, and pressed around him. Again, you see there's thousands of people pressing in on Jesus and he's trying to get to this man's home. Verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here we have, it's, it's going to be two people we deal with in this story that are confined, that are burdened, that need freedom in different ways. The girl obviously fighting for her life. And then this woman who's dealing with this bleeding ailment for the last 12 years of her life. And says to the point where she's seen many doctors, she spent all of her money. She is at the end. I, I have no answers. I don't know how many of you guys have ever been sick for a long period of time. There, it was a few years ago, actually, I got to preach in here on a Sunday morning and use this, and I forgot to finish the illustration. And I took, it was about a nine-month period where I had just weakness, pain, joint pain. I didn't sleep well. There were multiple things going on, and, and it didn't make sense. I saw a few doctors. Uh, they sent me to some specialists. They ran all kinds of tests, and nobody had a good answer. And it was I was confined in this box. I was trapped in this box I couldn't get out of to be well which I, I love to work out and eat healthy and do and, and fitness is just a part of my life. And there was a nine-month period of time where that was prohibited, which take, is a really hard impact for me. It, it ended up being I was allergic to cottage cheese, and I was consuming like gallons of cottage cheese. Uh, no doctor could tell me that. And finally, I discovered on my own cottage cheese. And today, if I eat cottage cheese, like in 30 minutes, pain, weakness, the whole thing is back. So no cottage cheese for me, which is okay because it's disgusting. Um, but I was choking it down because it was cheap and fast and easy and had a lot of protein. So that's, don't do that. Anyways, um, but, but I've been in that position before that you're confined and you can't get out. I'm trapped by whatever this is to the point where I'm spending money. I'm seeing doctors, multiple ones. Nobody has an answer and they can't fix it. Again, this one can transfer very easily from a physical ailment to this idea of just our, our general brokenness. We can seek out books and counselors and professionals and Oprah and whoever it is for answers to life. None of those things will fix the, fix the brokenness other than Jesus. I mean, it's a very simple transfer over. But this woman has spent 12 years confined with this illness, and it only gets worse. And verse 27 says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. And so obviously this woman is displaying enough faith that if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just get to this man and touch this man, it will fix me. There's something special about this, 
there's probably not a full revelation yet of understanding who Jesus is, but at least she has enough pieces to know and express a faith and belief in that if I can just get close enough to touch, my physical ailment can be fixed. There's something special about this man. Obviously, she's probably heard about teaching and healing. Maybe she's seen some of it, especially if he's gone back to Capernaum. She's already seen him work, probably heard him and all those things. And so she presses close enough just to touch this man's cloak. Verse 28, because she thought if I can just touch his clothes, actually, it's going to tell you. I will be healed. Verse 29, immediately her uh, bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized the power that had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Verse 31, you see the people crowded around against her, against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? It was, again, interesting because the disciples decide to interject here once more with all of their wisdom and insight and experience and education and the fullness of their knowledge, respond to Jesus with, what are you talking about, bro? Are you kidding me? Look at these people. They're everywhere. How can you say who touched me? And again, it's just, it was very interesting that they can't recognize, okay, this is Jesus, the Son of God. He's doing all kinds of miracles. He's probably going to know if somebody touches him. That's okay. But yet they interject, hey, we're stupid. Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Verse 33, when the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And this is going to tell us more about, okay, this woman's condition, how she's living right now. It does, Mark doesn't just lay it out here. Here's how this woman looks like. He says, she has a bleeding ailment that's lasted for 12 years. She spent all of her money. She's seen multiple doctors. Nobody can fix this to the point now she's seeking out Jesus to touch his coat. Maybe she'll be fixed. She does this. Jesus feels it, turns around. Who touched me? Disciples interject. Hey, we're dumb. And then Jesus keeps looking, and the woman, Luke says, she gets to the point where she knows she's going to be found out, that she fesses up to, I came and touched you. Why? Why is this woman hiding? But just from that part of the story, we can begin to, to break down or make some assumptions about this woman the last 12 years of her life. Number one, it says she spent all the money that she's had, and she's seen multiple doctors, and nobody can fix her. More than likely, she's not at home anymore. If she had a husband, he's probably not hanging out anymore. He's probably not caring for or taking care of, at least on a consistent basis. Why, she ran out of money. Not only that, we know that in this culture, the woman is not the major moneymaker in a household. She's not the provider. And in most cases, she can't be. Professions for women were very slim back then. And the few that she could have obtained without a husband, she actually can't do because of her condition. And so she's probably not at home. She doesn't have a lot. More than likely, she's poor. She's, she's in a bad state. Not only that, she's in pain. She's bleeding. Things are bad. She probably doesn't have a lot of self-confidence. We can see that just in a social setting, she touches a coat and then she, she retracts. She runs away. She's hiding and doesn't want to speak up. So just from that story, we can pick that up. But if we go back to Leviticus 15, it will tell us much more about this woman's condition and how she is living if you go all the way back to Leviticus 15, you can turn there if you'd like. I'm actually going to read a large chunk uh, just so we can uh, go through. And this may be offensive to you, and I'm sorry if it is, but the Bible is not um, a G-rated book uh, and has things that are that are difficult and tough in it. But verse 19 of chapter 15, it begins and says, When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. 
Anything she lies on during that period will be unclean, and anything she puts on will be unclean. Whoever touches her bed must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean until evening. Whoever touches anything she sits on must wash excuse me, his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean until evening. Whether it is the bed or anything she is sitting on, when anyone touches it, he will be unclean till evening. Verse 24, if a man lies with her in her monthly flow, touches him, he will be unclean for seven days. Any bed he lies on will be unclean. Verse 25, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during the monthly period, and anything she sits on will be unclean, as during her period. Whoever touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean until evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day she must take two doves, two young pigeons, and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanliness of her discharge. Verse 31, you must keep the Israelites separate from the things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanliness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. This woman has been unclean for 12 years. Not only has she been unclean, but according to the law of Israel that God has given them to live under these commands, to be their people, to separate themselves from the world, to live for him, to worship them, for him to be their God. She is now unclean for 12 years. So is her clothing. So is her bed. So are the things she sits on. So are the things she touches. To the point where if you touch her or touch anything she's touched, guess what? You're unclean, at least until you take a bath, wash your clothes, and wait until evening, then you're okay. Not only that, but when you're unclean, guess what you don't get to do? You don't go to worship. You don't go to church. You don't go to social functions where they all meet at the synagogue. You don't get to make your offerings and your sacrifices. You don't get to do any of it. Why? Because you're unclean. And again, we see why she presses in this crowd. There's thousands of people, so at least she can fade away in the crowd. But she comes up, she touches Jesus. And again, if you touch or are touched by someone who's deemed unclean, guess what you are? You're unclean. And so according to the law, her pressing up in this crowd and touching Jesus has now made Jesus unclean. And again, it carries the weight of, if you go back to verse 31 of chapter 15 in Leviticus, you must keep the Israelites separate from the things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanliness for defiling my dwelling place. It carries the theological weight. I've just now made another man unclean. And I'd rather not talk about it. However, if I don't tell him, he doesn't know I'm unclean. I need to go through a process of cleansing. It carries the weight of social embarrassment. It carries the weight of theological uncleanliness. It's just a full-on spectrum of that this woman deals with. Again, going back, she's gone through this for 12 years straight. If you're a husband... Going through this with your wife, what does that make you on a daily basis? You're unclean the whole time. It says until that stops, she has a seven-day period after that of cleansing, and then on the eighth day, you're okay. You can make your sacrifices and you move forward, and you're now clean. She's not been there yet. 
And so it's not too far-fetched to think because of this condition, at least after a period of time, husband said, okay, this is enough. I'm out. Again, wouldn't be too far-fetched in this community, in this society anyways, because that wasn't that unusual. You don't see a strong shift until New Testament writings and some unfolding of God's desire and all those things in relation. You have some issues that play out in the Old Testament, but at the same time, you don't have a full-on, God drops the bomb, here's my position. It was a progressive thing in dealing with marriage and divorce and all those things, so it's not too far-fetched that this woman, at some point, her husband goes, I can't do this anymore, you're unclean, no. The whole house, the kids, everything we touch, we eat, uh-uh. And so it's, it's highly possible this woman is now on her own, is living off of very little, obviously this whole doctor issue and everything she spent, she doesn't have anything anymore. I mean, it's far more than a cottage cheese element for nine months. It affects every aspect of her life. And all those around her. And so she touches Jesus and Jesus said, who touched me? And obviously, she doesn't want to speak up. I'm unclean. I'm not supposed to do that. In fact, I probably shouldn't be in this crowd because we're all touching each other. So everybody I've bumped into is now unclean. And so she comes to him and she falls to his feet the same way the ruler of the synagogue does, trembling with fear, and she tells him, the truth. And Luke says, she tells him the whole story of what's happened. Verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your or from your suffering. We, we see a woman who is trapped for 12 years in something that affects every piece of her life. And simply placing faith in Jesus, making a recognition, a physical recognition, I'm broken, I need some fixing. And approaching Jesus and touching his coat, she finds healing. And in that conversation, Jesus doesn't address, here are the legalistic issues of what's now happened. Thanks a lot. Now I've got to go through a seven-day cleansing process before I can go into the synagogue and teach it all. No, Jesus goes, your faith has made you whole. Go and be free from your suffering. Jesus addresses in love, in grace, in mercy, his desire for I'm here to heal you. So this woman goes on. Verse 37. Oops, I skipped too far. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? This is very interesting. Jesus, obviously, gets off. This man approaches him. Hey, and more than likely in a rush. We're now at the extreme. She's about to die. Please come home with me. And Jesus immediately goes with her. But yet on the way, or with him on the way to this man's home, he stops to deal with this woman who is in need. I mean, he doesn't make it to the house, at least in time for those around to say, hey, uh, she died already. Let's call this thing off. But Jesus makes time in the midst of everything he's got going on to go, I'm going to deal with this woman, and then I'm going to deal with the next issue. As we walk through the Gospels, we we just highlight this idea of, as followers of Jesus, the whole point is for us to follow Jesus. Not just in, hey, I I believe in Jesus, I recognize I'm broken, and I need Jesus. But the life application, what we do, the action points are, now we walk around the way Jesus did. And if we take this story and this picture, Jesus takes time 
in the midst of his busyness when somebody's in need, even if it's in the middle of meeting someone else's need, if there's an opportunity to meet someone else's need during that time, guess what he does? He meets their need. Last week we made a reference to Ephesians when Paul wrote, he says, take every opportunity you have to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Again, as followers of Jesus, if we walk around the same way, then we take every opportunity we have regardless of what's going on. Regardless of your busy schedule, of family, of life, of money, of all those things, we take those opportunities. So Jesus stops. He deals with this woman. She finds healing. She finds freedom. She finds purification. She now gets to function in society again. We don't know what happens with her after this, but it says that, <clears throat> again, some men come from Jerry's house and say, your daughter's died. Why bother the teacher anymore? Verse 36, ignoring or overhearing what they'd said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, do not be afraid, just believe. Again, we have basics of the gospel being communicated in the story. Recognizing your need for God and putting your faith, your trust, alignment in Jesus. The basics of the gospel. How do I find redemption? How do I find freedom? How do I find forgiveness for where I'm wrong? I recognize I need Jesus and I put my faith in him. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, just in case there was some confusion there. It's very interesting Mark writes that. Peter, James, and John, but if you forgot, it's John, the brother of James who he's been talking about for the last five chapters. Anyways, just interesting that he would write to them. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why is this commotion? Uh, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. Verse 40, but they all laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, now this is an Aramaic, uh, and says, Telethakom, which means, it's an affectionate term, again, it's an Aramaic, and it's an affectionate term, showing affection and then addressing a little girl, and, sa- and then says, get up. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And then verse 42, immediately, again, we see that word, Mark uses, again, this, this term, immediately, it's just ethos. But he uses it throughout the gospel to communicate responses of when Jesus makes a command or makes a statement or addresses somebody, often immediately there's a response to. Again, this idea of defending the divinity of Jesus that comes out, even in these little pieces, this idea of when Jesus speaks, immediately things happen. Whether it's response or miracles or whatever it is, there's immediate action to his speaking. It says, immediately the girl stood up and walked around and she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Verse 43, he gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And so Jesus, dealing with these two girls, one a woman dealing with a blood issue for the last 12 years and the other who is at the extreme of dying, who's a little girl, both find freedom. Both find healing. Both find correction. Because somebody placed their faith in Jesus. See, the first one that was healed was herself, putting her faith in reaching out and saying, if I can only touch this man, I might find healing. And she finds more than that. She, I mean, the simple fact that Jesus takes the time to address the woman, to speak with her, 
Thousands of people are standing around, at least those in her community, they're aware of who this woman is and what she's dealt with the last 12 years. It's now a social profession that this woman is clean. Because Jesus is standing there and says, go and be free from your suffering. Immediately she finds physical healing, but in the social aspect, everyone is finding that out too right now. But it's because she recognized, I need God, and she placed her faith in him. The other, you have a little girl who's about to die, a dad who runs in response to and in need and recognizes, I need God's intervention. This is bigger than me, and I can't fix it. And he finds healing for his daughter because he placed his faith in Jesus. Both stories are physical elements, I know that but can transfer over in the gospel to communicate, one, obviously, that Jesus is the Son of God and Mark's effort to defend this Jesus who was crucified is the Son of God and at the same time communicate to us that which we're enslaved to. We can find freedom. Our brokenness, we find correction in recognizing I have a need for God and I'm placing my faith in Jesus. Basic points of the gospel all wrapped up in this idea of loving people and taking every opportunity we have to make an impact for the kingdom of God by loving people. It's a whole point. If you're at a point where you can recognize, if you've never come to a point where you said, you know what, I'm buying into this Jesus idea, I want to establish a relationship, I want to find forgiveness. If you've never been to that point, Our call from, from God or what God has made available for us is this whole concept. Scripture is an entire narrative of explaining to us, this is who God is, this is who man is, and man's broken. And you need God. And God has made a way for you to know Him. And the basics of that story is, you recognize that I'm broke, and I put my faith in Jesus. And you find forgiveness. If you've never done that, You want to talk more? I'm not going to give you. Here you go. Here are the ABCs for you. That's something I'd rather sit down and discuss. If you've never done that, I'd love to discuss with you. Uh, and if you're not comfortable with that, I'd encourage you to suck that up and do it anyways. Because this woman probably wasn't comfortable chasing after Jesus. I'm not Jesus, but I'm just saying. Sometimes there are uncomforts. And that's okay. You know, that was a bad point. I'm sorry. That was unsensitive and all those things. That was awful. I need to rework that. I'm going to turn around and start over. I'm sorry. If you've never done that, that's something I encourage you to think through, discuss, to ask questions, to seek for. Or if you're at a point, literally, you sit down and tell Jesus, I recognize I'm broken and I'm putting my faith in you. The same way this man does. The same way the woman does. They come and they fall at Jesus' feet and they verbally profess, at least to the extent of their knowledge, the recognition that he can fix their need. The other part is, are we taking opportunities for people like this? Do we, do we make an impact for people in these situations? There are people who are broken. There are people who are sick. There are people who are hungry. There are people who have significant needs that we can meet. Are we doing that? Let's pray. Dear God, come here now. Thank you for another night to come together to study your word. Uh, God, I pray that you will give us opportunities 
to share you with people, to love people, to make a difference, God. Pray for those who don't know you, uh, that you will make yourself known uh, to them, reveal to them their need for you. Uh, God, we pray for uh, those who are sick, poor, and needy, that you will make us aware of specific instances where we can make a difference, God. We pray that you will give us the strength, the courage, the willingness to do so uh, in making sacrifices of our own, to be a part of what you want to do, God. Again, we thank you for your love, your forgiveness, and all you've done. Your personal prayer.